Welcome to Wave Family Church. This is our sermon podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek God through His Word. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We would love to meet you. Or you can also visit us online at wayfamily.church. Y'all, it's such a blessing to be up here again. I'm so glad to, to see you guys and have the opportunity to share God's Word with you this morning. And um, yeah, I guess Brandon did uh, approach me three weeks ago um, and asked if I would also participate in this, this Advent series that we're doing. Um, and I guess just this opportunity to step into that, it's such a blessing for me, and I hope the same blessing and growth goes out to y'all as I share this morning. Um, but with that said, I do have a little bit of a longer message this morning, so we're just going to jump right into it. Um, like Brandon said, we're going to be talking about joy this morning, um, and I've titled my sermon, Rejoice. Um, and really, we're going to be looking at Isaiah 35, this concept of beholding Christ in Isaiah. Um, looking specifically at joy, that theme of now and not yet, some of the joy that we get to experience now because of the work that Christ has done for us, and some of that joy that we have yet to expect from God um, when we're united with Him in eternity. Um, and so we'll be looking at kind of that duality of, of joy right there. Um, but before we look at what this passage says about joy, I think it's really important that we have a definition of joy. Joy defined not by the world, but by the Word. Because um, what we see is uh, in the world's definition of joy. I looked up the what is joy definition, and um, I think Merriam-Webster was my favorite. It said, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune. And um, that is not what we see in the word about what joy is. Um, we see this joy here is conditional on well-being, success, or good fortune. Um, I had uh, some of the good fortune to go to a concert on Tuesday. Um, and God, I think this is really just a point to his provision here. The theme of the concert was joy. Definitely helped me in my preparation of this message this morning. But I really got to see how the world is looking for joy and how they define it. Um, and so the director of this concert, um, he cautiously treaded on what joy was. He said, we have to be careful in uh, how we define joy because not, we can't always be joyful. He said that borders on toxic positivity. Um, and so now we have this kind of like worldly political definition of joy. Um, and it's just so far from the beauty of what God promises. Sure. Our joy is, uh, we'll see, so much better than what's uh, happening around us, what's dependent on circumstance, because jo God promises everlasting joy. Um, and so some verses that we read in the Word about what joy is, we read that it's a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And there are some other attributes listed there, but just understanding that our joy isn't produced by the things happening around us, but by the spirit that's within us. Um, and that's because of our abiding relationship with Christ. Uh, we'll read in John 15, 11, it says, these things I have told you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what we see is that our joy is produced by the spirit, but it's because God himself is joyful. He's given us his own joy that our joy might be complete. And so we see we experience joy now because of the spirit that's in us and the, the joy that Christ has. Um, and that's a lot of the joy we experience now. And then this theme of now and not yet that uh, Timbo introduced two weeks ago and that Brandon talked about last week too. Um, we'll see that present with joy just as much. So another couple of verses on joy. We have joy because of the fruit of the spirit. We also have a joy because of a trust in the fulfillment of God's promises. Um, we read in Romans 12, 12, it says rejoice in hope. Proverbs 10, 28 says the hope of the righteous brings joy. And so in both of those verses, we see that joy is actually attached to our hope and we can't separate those two things. 
So when we have joy, we also have a hope that God will fulfill his promises everlasting. Um, so our joy that we experience now is because of the Spirit and because of our relationship with Christ. And then yet we still have so much more to expect and to wait for from God in granting that everlasting joy that we have in the fulfillment of his promises. And so we'll be tracing this now and not yet theme through Isaiah 35 this morning. Um, but really the distinction is uh, worldly joy is more happiness. Um, happiness is in our happenings. Joy is in Jesus. Amen. And we'll really see that through this chapter here. Um, so again, my, my sermon title is Rejoice. We'll be tracing four main themes this morning. Joy promised, joy through circumstance, joy transforms, and joy secured. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and uh, open up to Isaiah 35. This is part of our Beholding Christ through Isaiah this morning. And I'll uh, read from there. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Uh, please bow your heads with me in prayer. Dear Lord, it's such a blessing to be here. Um, you are so good, and it's uh, such a good thing that we get to dive into your word. Thank you for sending your son in the flesh to uh, live a sinless life for us, to, to die on the cross, and to redeem us and ransom us to uh, an everlasting joy and an inheritance we have in you. Um, Lord, I pray that this morning, as um, we read through your word, um, what I teach would not be my words, but your own. Um, and Lord, just please bless this time. Please grow us and just edify your body. Lord, that we might understand you better um, and just be sent forth in joy. Um, Lord, you're so good, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so just a quick context on the book of Isaiah. Um, so it's kind of split into two major sections. Isaiah is a prophet who lived 700 years before Christ was actually born. And what Isaiah does is he, most of the theme of the first half of his book is a lot about the judgment and the incoming wrath on Israel and the nations around and it's um, kind of discouraging to read through the, the book of Isaiah back to back because you're just seeing all of this like judgment and this ugliness of sin that Israel is kind of um, caught up in. And Isaiah is preaching this message of repentance and humility. Um, and you just see that Israel does not follow. Um, and so we see a big theme of God's wrath and judgment in this first, first half of Isaiah. And then we all of a sudden have this break here in Isaiah 35 where Isaiah's 
telling his people, telling God's own people to be joyful. Um, and so that's why it's so important that um, we really understand what joy is, because this is joy commanded in the midst of the circumstance here. Um, and he prefaces it with why we ought to be joyful, what God is promising to do. And so that's the first section that we're going to look at this morning, is joy promised and what God is saying here through Isaiah. In verse 1, Isaiah says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. Um, and so what stands out here to me is that it seems kind of just naturally poetic, but the earth itself is uh, personified that it's going to be joyful, it's going to be rejoicing, the desert and the wilderness blossoming and rejoicing. Um, and I think there's actually a really good reason that Isaiah is talking about the earth having reason to rejoice. And so we'll read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So this is at the beginning of, of God's creation of the earth. And um, one of the responsibilities that he holds man accountable for is for working the garden and keeping it. Um, and unfortunately, spoiler alert, man sins, man rebels against God, man falls. Um, and so we see that not just man suffers this consequence, but earth itself suffers a consequence from man's sin. Um, in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, here's the earth that God pronounces. It says, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So we see that man rebels against the commandment God has given him, and this brings in sin, and this sin to man is death. Um, and that's really this, this curse, this consequence that sin has. Um, but because man was also responsible for keeping the earth, we see that the earth itself suffers that consequence. So when we read in Isaiah 35 verse 1 that the wilderness and the desert shall rejoice and blossom, what they're expecting, what we have yet to expect in God's promise is this total restoration of the earth, at the ushering in, in, of a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll read part of that in uh, Romans 8 verses 19 through 21. Here Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealings of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to the futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So what we see here is that earth itself is awaiting freedom from the corruption of sin. Just as we got that freedom from Christ, the earth is waiting for its restoration. Um, and so it makes sense, I think, looking at Isaiah 35, why he would be explaining that the earth has reason to rejoice. And this is some of God's promise that we're still waiting and expecting from him, is this new earth and this total restoration. Um, and that's part of the not yet, but we're also looking at the now, the now and the not yet. Um, and what really stands out to me is it seemed like kind of a minor detail in this verse here. It says, the desert shall rejoice and blossom, like the crocus. And I actually did not know what a crocus was, so I had to look this up real quick. Um, and I think we'll have a picture of it up here. Um, the crocus is actually a flower. Um, and it's, I think the more I researched what a crocus flower was, the more I learned that this points directly towards Christ. 
Um, the crocus is one of the most resilient flowers. It's the first to emerge from the death of winter. And it's also one of the most able to, I think, withstand like the heat of the desert. Um, so it survives these really harsh climates. And we see this parallels Christ's own life here on earth. Um, Christ was the first to emerge from the grave and defeat sin for us. So as the crocus arises from the, the death of winter, Christ arises from the death of sin. Um, and that's such an important detail. And I think why Isaiah was so intentional with using that word crocus there. Um, but we also see that Jesus withstood sin in the desert. Um, in Matthew 4 and just in Jesus' ministry, Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the desert and then was tempted by the devil. And then he still emerged, not defeated by the devil, but the sinless son of God. Um, and so we see Jesus himself, like this crocus flower, being the first to emerge from the sin of death, but also being able to withstand the, the harsh desert climate. Um, and that's just such a beautiful picture of who Christ is. Um, and then I think it also ties really well into our Advent series. Um, so we'll read in Psalm 51 verse five, um, that actually why it might be so important that Jesus wasn't born of man, but by the Spirit of God. He was born of a virgin. Um, I, Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Um, so David is writing this psalm as a way to repent from some flagrant sin he had in his life. Um, and we see that David himself was actually brought forth in sin and conceived in iniquity. Um, and really, this is a concept of headship that we have because Adam sinned and fell, um, actually everybody born of Adam is brought forth in sin. And so that's why it's so important that we have Christ not born of Adam, but born of the Holy Spirit of God. He's born of God's spirit that he'd be fully God and fully sinless and born of Mary that he would be fully human. And that is why it's such good news that we have Jesus as our savior. Um, and really, again, that's just that crocus flower there. Spent a lot of time focusing on that first verse because I think it just sets us up for what we're gonna see Christ as this, this Messiah that Isaiah is prophesying. Um, but we'll move on to verse two, still looking at this idea of joy promised. Um, verse two, Isaiah 35, it says, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Um, and here, it's really more of this idea of the full restoration of a, a new heaven and a new earth. Um, but what really helps is if we know more of the context of the glory of Lebanon, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, because these places might have been relevant to Israel, but I think we have a lack of understanding of Israel's immediate geography today. Um, so I wanted to, just with a few more pictures, kind of show you the imagery that is being given here through Isaiah. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. What we see is that Lebanon is actually famous for its cedar trees, and I think we yeah, have a beautiful picture of one of those up there. Um, so what Isaiah is saying here is that there's going to be a full restoration of the earth, and here's kind of some of what we can expect, is this glory restored everywhere on the earth. Um, and then he also says the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. And so we'll have a picture of Mount Carmel. Carmel is really characterized by this abundant life that Jesus brings. I think we read that in John 10. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Um, and then finally, the majesty also of Sharon. And um, that's the Valley of Sharon right there. It's right next to Mount Carmel. And Sharon is really a symbol of fertility. So where we see in Romans 8, 
that the earth was subjected to futility, Jesus promises this restoration of total abundant life, fertility, and just glory being brought back. And so this is what we have yet to expect of who Jesus is. Um, and that is why the promise of joy in these first couple verses is so important and something we can just cling to. Um, and it really helps us go into our next section here of joy through circumstance. Because when we know that joy is promised and that we can ground ourselves in that, it helps us be strong as God commands us in the next few verses. It says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Um, and so what's so important here is to know the earlier context of Isaiah because there is so much judgment and wrath being pronounced against the nations and against Israel because of all of the sin happening. Um, God is going to come with vengeance and recompense. And Isaiah is commanding through this that we be strong, or that Israel be strong, but these, these commands still apply to us today, that we would also be strong and fear not. We would strengthen the weak knees and strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Sorry for tripping over those verses, y'all. <laughs> um, and what's really important is that our joy not be rooted in circumstance because the circumstance here is some of the worst. It's like all of this judgment and death being brought upon the nations. Um, but our joy be rooted in God's own promise. And so what I've noticed here is I looked at just some of the other promises of God where we're commanded to be strong and to not fear. I noticed that every time God commands us to be strong, to fear not, it's, it's accompanied by a promise of his presence and his own strength. And so we'll kind of see some of the form of how that looks in a few verses here. I have Joshua 1.9. It says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will fear not. What can man do to me? Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so what we see here, every time God says, fear not, take strength, God promises that he is with us and he is our strength. So this uh, command that we are to be obedient to, to fear not and to be strong, it's not something we ourselves do by ourselves. It's something that God promises he will do for us and with us. Um, and something that we do at, in his presence. Um, and so when we get this same command to be strong in Isaiah 35, um, it's also this command to be joyful. We need um, this really accompaniment of God's own promise to be assured. Um, and I think God does this through Christ himself. Um, and we have this promise of Emmanuel. Um, so in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So when God is is uh, exhorting us towards being joyful, we have this promise of God with us. That's what Emmanuel translates to. And so when we are joyful, it's because of our abiding relationship with Christ and because we know that he is our strength. Um, and so we, not, we don't need to just source this joy from something that we don't understand, but because we know who God is and we know who we are with God. Um, again, I think uh, I almost titled this section, Joy Commanded. Um, we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 and 17, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Um, and so we see that God's will for us isn't just that we would be joyful. He commands us to be joyful. 
Um, and so it's so important that we wouldn't just uh, make excuses, but that we would look towards Jesus to help us be joyful um, in submission and obedience to who God is. Um, and then uh, verse 17 of that, 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. It's another accompaniment of God with us. When we pray without ceasing, we're in constant communication and in the presence of the Lord. Um, so it's so important that we don't disconnect our rejoicing through circumstance, through God's presence with us. Um, and so we see that that's something we, we get to rejoice in now. Um, and yet we still await this coming presence of God again um, at his second coming. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about what this looks like in Jesus' own ministry to rejoice through circumstance. And so I have a Hebrews 12, 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so what we see here is that Jesus himself faces the worst of circumstances on the cross with joy. Um, and I think the, the key here is despising the shame. Jesus knows that like shame, shame is our separation of identity. Um, and so when Jesus despises the shame, he despises the sin that separates us from God. And I think it's so important for us to know that Jesus and God himself want to dwell with us and among us. And so Jesus, knowing the promise of that, is moved to endure the cross with joy. Um, and so to have God's presence is to be joyful. And let us not separate our presence from God and our joy from the circumstance around us. Um, and next we'll see this section of joy transforms, verses 5 through 7, Isaiah 35. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And so what we see right here is that the promise is that the blind would see, the lame would walk, the meat would sing. Um, and Jesus actually does these things throughout his ministry on earth. Uh, we see Jesus give sight to the blind. We see him heal a, a paralyzed man, give him, give him the ability to walk. Um, and so there's a lot of this that Jesus just fulfills while he's uh, alive and walking on the earth. And um, we'll read in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we actually have reason to rejoice because we experience this same transformation in our lives. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so what we see here is that because Jesus freed us to live by the spirit and not of the flesh jesus came and died in the flesh that we wouldn't be bound to it but bound to live under the spirit that our flesh is actually transformed day by day more and more into christ's own image um and this is uh, the concept of sanctification that as we continue in our walk with the lord we'll grow in more more and more into his own image um and that looks like bearing those fruits of the spirit love joy peace patience um and so it's such good news that this transformation that Jesus showed us in his ministry is something we ourselves experience in our hearts and in our own flesh um, because of the work that Jesus did, freeing us to live under the Spirit rather than our own flesh. And um, that's what we get to experience now. Again, this not yet section, we'll look at Revelation 21, verse 4. 
and we read here, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God's promise is to completely restore and transform the curse of sin, that death and pain wouldn't be anymore, but that we could have eternal joy and that our suffering would be gone. Our suffering is one of the former things that will pass away. And so let us take joy in the hope of God's promise. Um, though we don't experience this now, there's still death in the world. Um, we have yet to expect this from God, and for that we can be joyful. All right, and finally, looking at these, these last few verses, we're going to look at this idea of our joy being secured. So what God has promised is that he will grant us this joy and this reason to rejoice, and that we won't be moved from it. What we read in verses 8 through 10, Isaiah 35, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if there are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. God's promise here is security as we walk with him. Um, and we read that this is a, a highway called the way of holiness. And I, I don't think this is just a, an actual location, a way we take steps. Um, it's not a, just a lifestyle or way of life either. It's Jesus himself. What we read in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what we see, this highway of holiness, is um, it's not just a place to be that guarantees security and safety, but it is Jesus himself. Jesus promises that he is the gate and that if we go through him, we will find pasture. Um, and then uh, Romans 14, verse 17, it's actually a, a verse Brandon used last week that I really liked and wanted to, uh, to bring back. <laughs> um, the word's just so abundant, and I'm glad we can really look at it week to week the same. Um, and just learn more and more. But Romans 14, 17, it says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so what we see again is that we're freed not to be on the way of holiness by the things we do in our flesh, but by living under God's own spirit. And that brings the same peace and joy that we get to experience because of who Jesus is. Um, and so these things like joy, peace, love, and patience, they're kind of, they're guides, actually. Um, things that affirm that we are finding life in Jesus. Because as we find life in him, we continue to bear fruit. Um, and then next we'll read more about this security. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Um, and I notice that this, is, this security is promised through the Holy Spirit, but also through Jesus himself. And we'll read from Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 where we are um, secured by the, the sign of the Spirit. Um, these verses say, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. So what we see is that the Spirit in us, the thing that produces this joy, this is a guarantee that God has us secured in our walk with him. Um, and we'll read the, a similar guarantee of security here in John 10, verses 27 and 28. 
Here Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so there's reason to be cautious and to stray from sin, but we learn that Jesus has our, our steps secure in him. And so when we walk faithfully and obediently to him, we don't need to fear and we can have that joy and that confidence that Jesus has us secured. Um, there are some warnings that I did really want to look at and one of those is found in Matthew 7:14. It says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And so I think this verse can induce a, a lot of anxiety if we don't know who Jesus is. And so what we learn is that Jesus was that sinless way. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so we ourselves ought not to, to stress about finding this way because we found Jesus and he is that way. Um, and so though the gate is narrow, the gate is Jesus himself. And when we put our faith and our trust that Jesus has secured that way for us, we don't need to be afraid. We can be confident and we can be joyful. Um, and then we also read in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to, someone to devour. Um, and so there's kind of this be cautious, be weary of sin. Um, and we couple this with the, uh, the promise in Isaiah 35, where Isaiah says, um, verse 9, no lion shall be there. So on this highway of holiness, there is no lion, but yet we ought to be cautious of the devil who prowls around. Um, and what we learn is that Jesus is so much stronger than this lion. Um, so there's a, an enemy, an adversary, who would be seeking to tempt us and to manipulate what we know about God's own promise. But Jesus is stronger than he is. And uh, when we really put our faith and our trust in Jesus, we have this confidence, this joy that uh, can't be moved by what sin is. And um, I thought it was also really cool that Jesus is a descendant of David and David would physically mangle lions just by his own strength. <laughs> and how much stronger is Jesus, the sinless son of God, to do that for us? So let us put our, our hope and our trust in Jesus' own strength. All right, so we looked at these, these ideas through the now and not yet of uh, joy promised, joy through circumstance, joy that transforms, and joy secured. Um, we see that joy is promised, that we get to experience a lot of that promise now because Jesus has emerged from the grave of death. Um, and we have God's spirit to rejoice, and yet we're still awaiting this total transformation of heaven and earth, this restoration um, that is to come in eternity. Um, we also see that we can be joyful through circumstance. This joy is commanded, um, but it's also granted to us through the Holy Spirit um, that can't be moved through any sort of circumstance that we have. Um, we see that joy transforms, that because Jesus came in the flesh, uh, he freed us from living under the flesh to live by the Spirit, and this joy transforms us more and more into His likeness. Um, and that's just something that's so beautiful that we grow in our walk continually with Jesus because of what He's done. Um, and then we read that our joy is secured, um, that those Jesus has found and given the Spirit will not be snatched away from Him. He doesn't lose those who He's, who he's found. Um, and yet we have yet to experience this eternal joy um, and the kingdom of heaven. And so we can root our joy in our relationship with Jesus and the promise of what is to still come. Um, and my, my takeaway for today is that we would learn God's promises. Um, I don't remember exactly what I wrote up there. Learn, memorize, and meditate on God's promises. Um, because it's so important that we don't 
disconnect our joy from who Jesus is. And to know who Jesus is, we need to know what he said. Um, and so Jeremiah verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 16, it says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. And so as we really meditate on the word, as we learn what God's promises are, we can take joy through circumstance. And so I have a question, and that is, what is keeping us from rejoicing? Um, I think there are a lot of things that we can look to immediately, um, like finances, relationships, uncertainty about the future. God has abundant promises about these things. And so I think it's so important that we would learn what he says about these things, about our own identity in him through these things. Um, and so if you need a promise, please just ask someone around you. Um, God's word is abundant and sufficient. And as we learn these promises, as we digest them, um, they become to us a joy because we know who God is and we identify with him. Um, and there's just so much abundant life in surrendering to what God says through his promises. And for that reason, we can rejoice. Um, church, please uh, bow your heads with me in prayer. Dear Lord, you are so good, and you've promised abundant life. You've promised restoration. Enjoy we get to experience now and not yet. Um, and Lord, we have confidence to move forward in that joy. Um, Lord, but we can do that not just our strength, but your strength, because you've promised your presence, that you would go before us, and that you would secure these things for us. And so it is your will that we would transform more and more into your likeness. And Lord, your likeness is joyful, it's loving, it's peaceful, it's patient. And Lord, so as we ask you to, uh, to help us understand what your joy is, um, why we might not experience that joy today, Lord, please just fill us with your promises that we would lean into them fully, that we would trust them. We would trust that you are sufficient and strong enough to uh, overcome those trials. Um, but Lord, just guarantee us our identity in you. And through that, just give us joy and allow us to look forward to what we have to expect from your promises. Lord, you're so good. And just uh, allow us to grow in joy over this week and moving forward. It's in your name we pray.